Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, the Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the joyful gentleman with J names, Jack Evans, James Malloy, and Jeffrey Leaves. Thanks, folks. Today we have myself, Ange, and Chuck, one of our newest gnomes. Though I guess at this point he's been around for a few months, so you're not quite so shiny new anymore? That's bound to happen eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the sheen is, is a little gone. <laughs> but we're going to skip our get to know a gnome question today because this whole episode is going to be about getting to know Chuck. So welcome to the stew, Chuck. Hello, thanks so much. Glad to be here. Awesome. So let me ask with our first question, give me your gamer origin story. How did you get into gaming? Sure. So it's kind of protracted, and I fear not all that interesting, but it was really important to me. Uh, it actually started Dark Sun, had just come out, so this gives it sort of a, a time period here, and shows that I'm old. <laughs> uh, I was about, I was probably about 10 years old, had to have been for about that when that came out, and uh, my cousins and I were all in a cabin in South Dakota, sort of in the middle of nowhere. And it was a cousin that I'd always sort of looked up to, and he got me started on fantasy books and reading like the Dragonlance novels. And he was like, oh, here's D&D, we should play that. And we did. He didn't have any of the books. It was all based on his imagination. He had some dice. We did everything just, I'm sure, completely wrong. But I was just totally hooked from that point onward. And then probably uh, about a year later, uh, I ended up picking up Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness by Palladium Books, which is um, just a hot mess of a game that interacted with another game called Heroes Unlimited. And I didn't have a lot of opportunities to play, but I had the books, and I sort of dove into those systems and how they interacted with each other in ways that I haven't really had the time to do since I was like 11 years old. So that kind of <laughs> forever sort of flavored my approach to gaming. Took a, a brief break, played now and then during you know middle school, high school, and then just really got back into it in college. But those fingerprints of those early games are still stuck behind, which is weird when you're playing like Vampire the Masquerade and you've still got those little pieces of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that still come out. <laughs> but I, that's just my play style. That's, I, I love it. Uh, it. It is maybe in many ways my first love uh, and it's something I'll always love. So, You know, you mentioned that first time you played at the, the cabin in South Dakota, you mm -hmm. probably did it all wrong. You know, I, I, I hear a lot of people say that type of thing about their their first gaming experiences and I'm like, no, nope, you didn't do it wrong at all because it got you into this hobby. And, you know, we all know that the rules are end, up, end up being pretty nebulous anyway. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I, I don't think they necessarily have to be, but I, I think certainly during your first few experiences as a gamer, the rules always end up being screwed up, but the imagination is the thing. The story is the right. thing. But those rules can interact with the story in ways that I will always love because of oh, those yeah. early experiences and because of Palladium. Again, the rules were a mess, but they were important, and they created a story you couldn't get any other way. Mm -hmm. So when did you make the transition from playing to running? Probably, again, with that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and other strangeness and, and uh, Heroes Unlimited sort of time period, every now and then, I and like other neighborhood kids, if I happen to be living in a place that had neighborhood kids, which was not all the time, uh, <laughs> sometimes we would get together and I'd sort of throw people at it and create these very clumsy, not all that great stories, but, but I would do it. And that was really where I started, but it wasn't until college that I sort of achieved, some people call it the DM curse, I don't think it's a curse at all that if somebody's going to run a game, there's a better than even chance it's going to be this guy or this girl or this NB, and, and it's, it's me. 
And that college was when that happened. And it was maybe an extended time period. It took me a little bit longer than some people, but that was when it happened and I loved it. And I haven't changed back since. It's not a curse. It's, it's a blessing that your friends are like, I like your stories. Yeah, I think it, it, it's, there, there's, there's levels and variation there. Because as I've always said, I'm, I'm a little wary of people who say they only ever GM. Because mm-hmm. I feel like those that, that only ever GM, either it's a power trip or <laughs> they, they've, they've, they don't want to lose control, so they don't want to play, or, you know, or, or then there are the folks who mostly GM because mm-hmm. no one else in their group steps up to do the GMing, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's a balance. But one of the other things you kind of mentioned in there that makes me think of is the, um, you know, how in some groups, like, one person falls into the GM role, but there can also kind of be this, like, barrier to entry for GMing is people think they don't have the skills or the knowledge to do it. So that also feeds into the one person running all the time. Yeah, it really does. And and that's that's really unfortunate. Like, that, that kills me sometimes because I have heard that from several of my friends. And you never know, because a lot of times they say, well, there's they'll blow smoke and, hey, I am as susceptible to flattery as any other five people you will meet combined. So they usually <laughs> like, oh, you're such a great GM. I would never run want to run because I can't compare. I'm like, okay, great. Maybe that's an excuse, but thank you. Uh, <laughs> but also at the same time, you don't have to be that good. And that is something that I sometimes worry about. Like people call it the Matt Mercer effect. And even Matt Mercer has come out pretty strongly and said every game is different. Like, nobody's going to run a game exactly like me. I can't do goofy vo- voices. I do other things. Mm-hmm. And uh, my fr- uh, a friend of mine that I just spent the weekend at uh, HouseCon with this last uh, weekend, it's a term I'd never heard before, but I love it. It's where you basically, everybody descends on somebody's house and spends the whole weekend uh, gaming, and it was fantastic. But I he, love HouseCons. Oh, they're so good. I, I'd, never heard, I'd never heard that particular term for them, but I have, I have gone to many of them. Ah, it's fantastic. But uh, up until like a few years ago, maybe four years ago, uh, he had never touched a role-playing game. And he has since just dived in with with both feet uh, or both hands, however you dive. He dives that way. Uh, (laughs) And he is such an incredibly unique, feelings-oriented GM in ways that I could and would never do. But he is just endlessly immersive the way he does that. And we now butt heads because we're very, very different GMs. But he was never doing it before, and he came out of it, and he has never been intimidated by other people GMing, and and I wish more people had that energy. So yeah, I I think there's a lot to be said too for for fomenting and fostering the people in your groups to to run because mm-hmm. like I I like GMing, mm-hmm. I like GMing, but I I don't want to GM all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to play too, so it 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 helps me if I help somebody else become a GM. Absolutely, absolutely. Because then you can play games, if nothing else. I have yet to find anybody willing to run a Mutants and Masterminds game for me, though. It's killing me. So anyone out at Listenerland, if you want to run Mutants and Masterminds and you live in Washington, D.C., hit me up on Twitter. Uh, anyway, so... I, I actually have several friends who, uh, they, they primarily run a lot of Mutants and Masterminds. So if you're, if you're coming to Origins, I might be able to hook you up. Uh, I, I really, really want to. I really want to try to make it happen, especially because I have friends in that area. And yeah, it's it's Origins is a cool, cool con I've heard a lot of wonderful things about. <laughs> so we've mentioned Dark Sun uh, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Vampire the Masquerade and Mutants and Masterminds, which you haven't gotten to play. But what type of games do you like to play? 
I personally like to play, and, and this is a, a big investment in time, which is why I don't get to do so as much anymore. I like to play games where the rule sets are sometimes complicated, but interact with each other in meaningful ways within the game, sometimes unpredictable ways. I, I read the analogy somewhere, and I don't even remember where, that in some games, when you're making a character, it's like packing a bag for a trip. You have a vague idea of where the story is going to take you, and, you know, do you pack a flashlight? Do you take this power or that power? And whether you take this power or that power affects how effective you are in any given situation, affects how much creativity you have to bring to bear. Uh, different games like that level will require different amounts of creativity with those. And, and I love points where you have to make mechanically important decisions earlier that may affect gameplay later. And that's, I guess, a more traditional approach than maybe some of my mm -hmm. opinions would suggest. But I really like those. I like tactical games. I like games with maps and terrain. Uh, I do 3D printing poorly uh, and a little bit of 3D modeling and really like to just have these huge, elaborate set-piece battles. They just absolutely make my day. But of course, the problem is with those kinds of things, to, to do them really, really well sometimes takes, you know, eight hours of preparation for a two-hour game. And there are limits to the ability to do that. So I, I kind of fill in the gap with a lot of really great indie games. And we're in a golden age of indie games. So, oh, yes, absolutely. And, and I, I love it. But yeah, the, those tactical, crunchy games, they're my first love. They'll, they'll always be my biggest love. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. It, does that correlate to the type of games you like to run as well? It does. And if I'm being honest, I have a little bit of a reputation among my larger gaming friend group as somebody that makes people do really elaborate character creation. And then we'll play through two or three games and they'll just sort of peter out, which is really unfortunate. I do have a, a little bit of a, a commitment issue with that that I'm working on. In uh, the year 2019, I will bring back my Blue Rose group, by golly, if it kills me. That's another really great game, by the way, that has a lot of tactical depth. And I'm always going to shell for it because I love Blue Rose so much. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, those are, those are the kinds of games that I tend to run to, yes. But it sounds like you also still pepper in the occasional indie game that's a little, you know... Uh, freeform, looser, I'm not quite sure, I'm never quite sure the term to put on it, because even the indie games still have rules that are very mm -hmm. important to create the play they're trying to create. Yes, so my rule of thumb that I use, and I'm sure there are people that are going to disagree with me, and if anybody's listening to this, uh, please feel free to tell me about it on Twitter, how very, very wrong I am. I, I'm kidding. Please keep it to yourself. Uh, but uh, the rule of thumb that I use is the difference between a tactical game and an indie game is do you have movement rules? Uh. Can I model exactly how far you can travel during a given rule? And if not, you go in sort of the indie pile. And if you do, you go in the tactical pile. And there are some games that straddle the line a little bit, uh, like the Cypher system, which doesn't have hard and fast movement rules but has enough rules that approximate that that I feel like it does, so I still put mm -hmm. it in the tactical side. And then you have Fate that does have some element of tactics to it, but doesn't have the movement rules either, but I still put that in the indie side. So it's still, there's weaknesses to any taxonomic system. So Yeah. I actually don't, part of me doesn't like the term indie for indie games, yeah. even though it, it tends to be the best term to use that lets everyone know what you're talking about. Because mm -hmm. it's like, not all of them are, you know, independent creators. Because, like, it's, you know, it's the gaming industry. Mm -hmm. Unless you're writing for Watsi. <laughs> right. You know? It's yeah. like, you know, everyone's kind of doing, you know, doing this by the seat of their pants. It's almost like the distinction between, like, pop music and indie music. Of course, I can't think of, like, big pop stars anymore that did sort of the garage thing. Like, Owl City. 
pretty sure he did that entirely by himself. That's very definitely pop music, even though it's independent. Right. And then you have, you know, list like label signed stars that are doing what you can still describe as indie mm-hmm. music. So I think it's indie as a as a style distinction rather than a corporate size distinction. Yeah. That's 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 probably that's probably a good way to look at it. Mm-hmm. So what 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 type of articles can our audience expect to see from you on the stew? You've you've already had a few, so like I said, you're not as shiny new as as you once were. I know, uh, and, and it's so painful to have that shininess wear off. It's it's actually not at all. I really love that I've sort of settled into a groove. So I've always loved humorous listicle articles. Uh, I like reading them; <laughs> they're fun to write, and so I've sort of settled into this routine. Where, uh, so what you can expect from me, by the way, is humorous listicles. Shock! Uh, if you look at what I've written already, that's pretty much what you've gotten. But I, I like to have an excuse to dive in and just sort of really, really research something for a little while. So, so things that I've tried to do in the past, uh, I tried to teach myself ukulele for uh, a, a bard <laughs> article. Uh, that failed miserably, by the way. Amanda Palmer is a liar. It takes much longer than two hours to learn to play the ukulele. I, I'm in well, the process. Maybe, of, maybe if you were Amanda Palmer, it would only take you two hours. That is, that but. is almost certainly true. Amanda Palmer has more musical talent in like her autograph than I have in my entire life. Backstory, <laughs> everything. Um, but it was still fun. And so right now I'm researching fungi as a, a thing for an article that's getting ready to come out a week from now. I think with the the weird cross-dimensional timing of Gnomecast recordings and real life, I think that this recording will come out after your article. Oh, fantastic. In that case, you should have already read my Fungi article, and you should already <laughs> love it. No, you should. It's not for everybody. Um, but I, I've, I've been very fortunate in that I have a lot of friends with a lot of wide expertise, some of them in the game industry, some of them, like, biologists or doctors or like firemen. I have a whole bunch of weird friends and I get to have all these cool, weird experiences. I I was in Stirling Castle in Scotland and saw their kitchen that had like a a full, I I don't want to say reenactment because it was like this creepy mannequin thing, but it was like a (laughs) life-size diorama of all the people who work in a kitchen and their equipment. And that like inspired a a Gnome Stew article. And so like I'm a really constantly curious person, and I'm trying to bring that kind of curiosity to say, here are the things in the real world that you can use and give a patina of fantasy and make your fantasy world a little bit more real feeling, I guess. So that that's what I'm trying to do, trying to leaven it with a little bit of humor. Uh, hopefully that's working. Uh, and yeah, that, that that's my thing. I, I'm really enjoying doing it, and I hope Gnome Stew lets me do it for a really long time. I, I think I think I think we can allow that to happen. Yes, score. I think, I think we can keep doing that. Excellent. Uh, so any any games coming up on the horizon that you're looking forward to? Well, um, so again, the the given the magic of uh, timing with Gnome Stew and everything else, uh, of course, One Child's Heart is coming out. Ah. Uh, is I guess kickstarting. Probably a week. It'll, it'll probably still be ongoing when this is going on. So if you're listening to this, go back One Child's Heart. It's an amazing game that just, it, it changes you. Like it, it's, it's a real, it demands a lot from you and it gives a lot back to you at the end of it. Excellent, excellent game. Really looking forward to that one. I have some friends written, with- Written uh, by fellow gnome Camden Wright. Absolutely, absolutely. I was fortunate enough to actually be in a game run by him, and it was amazing. So uh, another game that I'm really looking forward to is some of my friends at Defy Danger Adventures, who really specialize in super duper intense, like almost like 70s van art style, heavy metal aesthetic, <laughs> like blades and skulls and tactics. And I love them to death. Um, they're actually putting out a game called Avarice, 
which is basically a drinking game version of Dwarf Fortress, uh, which I've gotten to play a test version of a couple of times. I don't think they're kickstarting it. I think it's just getting launched. Uh, I could be wrong. Uh, sorry if I'm wrong, Ross. Uh, but it is the, the early version I played was amazing fun, and I cannot wait to play the full version. So that's another one I'm really looking forward to. And of course, like anything that's dropping at Gen Con, the Expanse RPG, which I think just recently dropped, but I'm waiting until Gen Con to pick it up so I can get it signed by the awesome people who wrote it. That's <laughs> another really great one. I'm just hooked on the Expanse, and I cannot wait to see what Green Ronin does with, with that game, too. So yeah, those, the, I guess those are the three games I'm really looking forward to right now. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I think I don't have any other questions for you. Okay. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the stuff you're bringing to the stew, because it's been awesome so far. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. So let's get into our outro. This show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by Gnometernity, the scent that can make even the oldest, crustiest gnomes smell new again. When you simply must make your gnome fresh and exciting again, Gnometernity. <sighs> and if you're enjoying the gnome cast, you'll probably like many of the other misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. The Lounge. Doc finds the best, the brightest, the most fun game designers and sits down to have a cool chat with them. You never know what conversation is going to come up in The Lounge. You can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. Also GnomeStew on Twitch. So, you know, Twitch. Chuck, where else can we find you on the internet? On Twitter, I am at sign innocuous Chuck, and that's pretty much it. That's basically my, my main internet presence. Excellent. And you can find me at orichez13 on Twitter. So, do you think we avoided the stew this week? Can I make this call now that I'm co-head gnome? What do you think? I, I, I think you can, but I might be motivated to make that decision. I'm no big fan <laughs> of being in the stew. <laughs> Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Oh, shoot, I am still recording this whole thing. Rob, I am so sorry.